Please stand. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 5. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might.
you know, we hit a new year. And yes, there are difficulties, there are uncertainties. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. Of course, they haven't been that way since the fall. But here we are. We're going to sing and rejoice because of you. And because you have revealed yourself to us, because you have provided a way of salvation that we can have a relationship with you, and because you are our power, because you are our everything, no matter what's happening, we rejoice in the Lord always, as Paul said again, I say rejoice. So that's what we're going to do this morning. So Father, we just pray that you'd help us do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now before you are seated, find somebody and tell them what you are rejoicing about or, or something that you're rejoicing for or, well, however you would say.
song you know we read from Deuteronomy chapter 6 the Shema here the Lord our God is one we are to love him with all our heart soul and mind we just uh, sung how uh, you know he's our rock he's our fortress he uh, he took our sin you know he's created this world he's allowed us to enjoy this world even though it is cursed there's still a lot to enjoy I mean there's just a lot of things to praise him for and uh we do realize as we live life, though, pressures and difficulties tend to surround us. In fact, pressures and difficulties can 
suppress that sin, depress us, and uh, and we can kind of get into a downward spiral, spiral. And you don't want that to happen. You have given us your Son, you've given us your Word, and you've given us your Spirit, so that we can live victoriously. As Paul said, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. And Lord, again, as we start this new year, this is a great way for us to remember, look at, I want to spend this year and be a victor, not a victim. There'll be a lot of things that will cause, that will kind of try to put us in the victim status. We'll say, no, with Christ, no matter what happens, I am a victor in him. There's no, what, no matter what happens here, someday I will be with him forever and ever in heaven. Now just think about that. So Lord, we thank you for how good you are. And we're here this morning to let you know that to say we want you to speak to us so that we will know you better and so that we can live a life that more fully glorifies you. And, we, and of course, we, as we do that, we will enjoy all that you have for us. So as we, uh, at this point, with all that that's maybe floating around your head, spend a few quiet moments and just talk to the Lord about uh, what you need to. Thanksgiving, petition, whatever it is. Tell him how great he is. study your word, we find that uh, you want your people to be a worshiping, joyous, lack of a better term, bunch of people. I mean, we're going to see that today in Deuteronomy. We're going to see that in the New Testament. You know, we are to rejoice being full of the Spirit, the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And, and if we think about it, you know, when we're whistling or singing a tune, it doesn't matter what tune. It doesn't matter if it's in tune. It usually means we're happy. And Lord, we can be happy in you. And so I pray that we could, uh, whatever's going on in our life, that you would raise us up uh, this morning, especially as we study your word. Pray to that end in Jesus' name. Shall we stand?
So just hang with me. We're going to look at the then and there and then the here and now. How the then and there connects with the here and now. In fact, every time you study the Bible, you start there. You start with the then and there because even Revelation was written some 2,000 years ago. And then we're going to come and see how it is for us. Because God gave us this book, even though it's predominantly about then and there, so that we would be perfectly equipped for every good work, right? It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for training in righteousness. And that includes us. And that includes Deuteronomy chapter 12. So notice as I read <clears throat> Deuteronomy 12. These are the statutes and the judgments which you shall carefully observe in the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess as long as you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and on every green tree. You shall tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, and burn their asherim with fire. And you shall cut down the engraved images of their gods and obliterate their name from that place. You shall not act like this toward the Lord your God. But you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose from all your tribes to establish his name there for his dwelling, and there you shall come. There you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contribution of your hand, your, vo your votive offering, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. <clears throat> There also you and your household shall eat before the Lord your God and rejoice in all your undertakings in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not do at all what we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For you have not yet come to the resting place and the inheritance which the Lord your God has given you. But when you cross the Jordan and live in the land which the Lord your God has given you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies around you so that you, so that you live in security, then it shall come about that the place in which the Lord your God will choose for his name to dwell. And there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contributions of your hand, and all your choice votive offerings which you will vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. Be careful that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every cultic place you see. But in the place which the Lord chooses, in one of your tribes, there you shall offer the burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. However, you may slaughter and eat meat within any of your gates, whatever you desire, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. The unclean and the clean may eat of it, as of the gazelle and the deer, only you shall not eat the blood. You are to pour it out on the ground like water. 
You are not allowed to eat within your gates the tithe of your grain or your new wine or oil or the firstborn of your herd or your flock or any of your votive offerings which you vow or your freewill offering or the contribution of your hand. But you shall eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God will choose. You and your son and your daughter and your male and female servants and the Levite who is within your gates and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all your undertakings. Be careful that you do not forsake the Levite as long as you live in your land. And when the Lord your God expands your borders, as he has promised you, and you say, I will eat meat because you desire to eat meat, then you may eat meat, whatever you desire. And if the place which the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, then you may slaughter of your herd and flock which the Lord has given you, as I have commanded you, and you may eat within your gates whatever you desire. Just as a gazelle or a deer is eaten, so you will eat it. The unclean and the clean alike may eat it. Only be sure not to eat the blood, for the blood is the life, and you shall not eat the life with the flesh. You shall not eat it, you shall pour it out on the ground like water. You shall not eat it so that it may be well with you and your sons after you, for you will be doing what is right in the sight of the Lord. Only your holy things which you have in your votive offerings uh, you shall take and go to the place which the Lord chooses. And you shall offer your burnt offering, the flesh of the, and the blood, on the altar of the Lord your God, and the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God, and you shall eat the flesh. Be careful to listen to all these words which I am commanding you, so that it may be well with you and your sons uh, after you forever, and you will be doing what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. And when the Lord your God cuts off before, the na before you the nations, which you are going in to dispossess, and, and, he dis, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, beware that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, Hey, how do these nations serve their gods, that I also may do likewise? You shall not behave thus toward the Lord your God. For every abominable act, which the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they have even burned their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. And whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to nor take away from. Wow! I can imagine as a Jew, standing there, sitting there, however it was dispersed, hearing this. And, and it really is glorious. It's glorious. Trust me, it is glorious. Now, like I said, we need to first of all think about the then and there and then make the transition to the here and now. And so you're saying, okay, Sodorovich, how are we going to do that? We're going to do that by asking two key questions. Question number one. Question number one is, what is God telling me about himself? In Deuteronomy chapter 12. You can even go back and say, what is God, what was God telling the nation of Israel about himself as he just laid out what we just read? 
And in fact, no matter what you are studying, no matter what you are reading, it's a good question to ask. What is God telling me about himself in this passage? Because it is his word. And he is telling us some very, very important things about his word, about himself, that truly should affect how we live, how we think, how we plan, how we do whatever. Number one, I think, with, with, and there, there's probably a lot. You could make a big list. I've chosen three to keep things simple. Number one, I think as you read this, you realize what God is telling us is he is a jealous God. He's a jealous God. He doesn't want competition. He doesn't want us worshiping other gods. He doesn't want us worshiping like other people worship their gods. Notice verse 2. As you come into this land... You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods. On the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree, you shall tear down their altars. You've got to get rid of all this stuff. The pagans would worship just about anything, anywhere. And so what he's saying is that we have lived on the east side of the Jordan here, and we have watched that. And when you go into the west side of the Jordan, into your land, it, it's predominant again. But as you go in there, since I do not tolerate competition, you've got to get rid of all of it. Don't even think about it. In fact, remember at the end, he says, when you go in there and you dispossess them, verse 30, beware that you are not ensnared to follow them. And you think, oh yeah, we've got, we've got the book of Deuteronomy. Actually, we've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We've got all of this law God has given us. Why in the world would they look over there and see the Canaanites worshiping, even burning their sons and daughters in the fire, and, and think, oh, you know, maybe we ought to do that. You know, that's always puzzled me, except for the fact that man is depraved, and deprived, and we are sinners. And that's the sin nature within us. We still live in the flesh, and we got all those. So that's why you have all these bewares, all these be carefuls. But God is telling us, I'm a jealous God. I will not tolerate competition. And we've seen that already in Deuteronomy. Go back to chapter 4. Chapter 4. Now, like I said, this is going to, this is, this may already be striking a gong in your head. It should. It should. This is what. This is our God. This is the God we just sang about. This is the God we profess. This is the God while we're here. This is who He is. He is a jealous God. When you go to verse twenty-three of Deuteronomy four, again, remember Moses is speaking to the generation of Jews that are going to inhabit the land. The first generation, their forefathers, uh, when they got the report that it's a great land, but there's giants there back in Numbers, they said, oh, we can't do this. We, let's go back to Egypt. And God said, look, you're rebelling against me. You won't trust me. One year for every day, the spies were in the land, 40 days. So you're going to wander for 40 years until you die. Your children will inherit the land. And that's where we are in Deuteronomy. Moses is talking to the children and going over this again and so he says, verse 23 of chapter 4, So watch yourselves that you do not forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make yourself a graven image in the form of anything against which the Lord your God has commanded you. 
So why would you be why would you be want to be so careful about not making a graven image and worshiping anything else? Because verse twenty four, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a what? Jealous God. He's got a lot invested in you, and he loves you, and he will not share you. And that is why as you go through the Bible, spiritual defection, when, when we go, especially Israel, when they went to serve the other gods, what did God call it? <coughs> Adultery. It's like an unfaithful spouse. God is saying, I, I'm not going to share you with anybody. And he's already said that. And I want you to get rid of all this stuff. You go to chapter 5, just across the page in my Bible. Oh, that was, uh, uh, what's the first commandment? Verse 7. Well, again, look at verse 6. Deuteronomy 5, 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Think about all that I have done for you. We just sang about how great thou art, how Christ died for us. Jesus sent, God sent his son to bear our sin on the cross. He's coming back. Look at all that he's done. You know, that's what I love about Amazing Grace, uh, which, by the way, was written on January 1st many years ago. But anyway, uh, grace has brought me safe thus far and grace will get me home. You think about all that God has done for us. Therefore, first commandment, verse seven, you shall have no other gods before me. No, I mean nothing. I gotta be number one. You know, we, we Clifford read earlier, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your mind, soul, and with all your might. Now, we read that, and in, in intellectually, we know all means all, but as we read that, practically we mean you put a percentage to it. Okay, God, in my life, I know what you said, but in my life, maybe I'll give you 50%, 40%, 30%, 60%, 70%, whatever. I mean, how many of us can say we truly love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. You can ask, well, how, how, how would I know? Look at your life. Or better yet, have somebody you love and trust say, I want you to watch me and just write down what I'm like. And you will find out what you really love by what you talk about, what you think about, what you spend time with, what you're planning, what you're watching. It'll show you a lot about you. But he says, I am a jealous God and I don't want you worshiping anything else Deuteronomy 5, 9, you shall not worship them or serve them, other, any other gods. Well, I guess verse 8, I, I'm sorry. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven or on earth be, be, uh, beneath or in the water or under the earth. You shall not worship them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. In fact, I'm dead serious about this. Chapter 6, verse 13 well, again, another watch yourself, verse 12. Watch yourself. Do not forget the Lord who brought you out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. It's good for us always to remember what has God done for me. You shall not fear, but you shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. That means, you know, he. if you're going to take an oath, you're going to take it, you know, as God is my witness, you know, because he's the ultimate. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the people surrounding you. Why? Verse 15, for the Lord your God is in the midst of you, is a jealous God. Otherwise, if you do, 
the anger of your Lord will be kindled against you. You don't want to make God jealous about you to where he's got to step in and do something drastic to get you back. Here he says, if you do that, if his anger is kindled against you, he will wipe you off the face of the earth. And to a degree, that's what he did. That's why the Assyrians came and uh, took over the north. In, in uh, years later, the Babylonians came and took the south. And yeah, they're back in the land, but it's not the way it was. It's not the way it's going to be. They are still, in essence, under this. So the point is, God is a jealous God. And he's made that perfectly clear. You go in there, and I want you to get rid of all of this stuff. Number two. This tells me that God is not only a jealous God, but predominantly in this chapter, you noticed it was about worship. Where and how. So that tells me God is also a holy God. A holy God. You need to come before him in a prescribed manner. What was happening, apparently, verse 8, you shall not do what we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in, their, in his own eyes. They apparently were saying, hey, I, we got some instruction, but let's do this and let's do that and let's do the other thing. No, 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 no. The pagans can worship anywhere. Why can't we? No, no, no. I'm going to give you a place and I'm going to give you prescriptions and I'm going to tell you that this is what you must do because I am holy and you have offended me by creation in, your, in the fall, this is what I demand of you. This is what I demand of you. And you'll notice, you, you know, I'm going to give you a place. We'll talk about that in a second. I'm going to give you a place. For example, verse 5, you know, the, the pagans kind of go under, I like that, and you're almost under any tree and under anything they would make a sacrifice, not you. I'm going to tell you, Verse 6, you shall bring your burnt offerings, your, sacri your sacrifices. That tells you something. Why am I sacrificing? Unless God is holy and I may need to make a sacrifice to appease a holy God. Your tithes, your, your, your votive offerings or whatever, you know, you shall bring that before the Lord in the place that I prescribe. It's, you know, it's interesting that God, that God is that picky because he wants us to worship him his way. Um, in Leviticus 17, which is a good cross-reference to this chapter, one of the things that they were doing was, uh, you know, they, they, were, they had very specific instructions in Leviticus 17, as we see here in Deuteronomy 12. One of the things they were doing is verse 7, you, they shall no longer sacrifice their sacrifices to the goat demons with which they play the harlot. This shall be a permanent statue to them throughout their generations. He's talking, he's giving them instructions. So they were worshiping everything. Everything, anyway, they did. They just, you know, they got, the world is very good at selling you this. You've got to do that. Everybody else is doing it. I don't want to stand out. Well, all of this is made so they would stand out. So I'm going to give you a specific place. And then, not only a specific place, but a specific procedure. And that's why all this discussion about blood. About blood. They were not to eat the blood. You kill an animal to eat, you spill it on the ground. 
He's going to give him permission to do that, but you spill it, Oliver. When you come to me, look at chapter 12, verse uh, 27, and you come to my place, you're going to offer your sacrifices in my place, and you shall offer, verse 27, chapter 12, your burnt offerings, the flesh and the, the flesh and the blood, and on the altar of the Lord your God, the blood of your sacrifices. You're going to put this sacrifice, you're going to put the blood on the altar. Why? Because life is in the blood. This is again where Deuteronomy, rather Leviticus 17 is very, very helpful. Deuteronomy, rather Leviticus 17 verse 10. Any man from the house of Israel or from the aliens who sojourns among them who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. Now, commentators will, will debate whether this means expedience communicated from the temple or whatever. It can also mean death. Okay, so either way, this is serious stuff if you, if you eat the blood. And by the way, the pagans typically did that. Satan's going to counterfeit any, everything. <clears throat> God says the blood is sacred, don't eat it. Satan says, oh yeah, we're going to have blood everywhere in our sacrifices. In fact, we're, we're going to drink it. You probably have seen strange movies where they take the goblet and do that. This is coffee. <laughs> Thank you, dear. This is not blood. This is coffee with some, with some, um, with some soy milk in there that helped my throat. Okay, so you got to be careful about the blood. Verse 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. And, be, and the reason this is sacred, he did that way, because back in Genesis 2.17, he told Adam, you disobey me and eat of this tree. The day you eat of that, you will die. And throughout Scripture, we find the wages of sin is death, as Paul so quite, so greatly tells us in Romans six twenty three. So blood was important. So you have a you have a you're going to have a steak for dinner. You bleed the animal. That blood only goes to eventually Jerusalem to the temple to be put on the altar. And I think what this tells us about God is He is that holy. And, and, and their atonement has to be made. And since life is in the blood, you can't live without blood. So as they bled an animal, it, what was symbolizing is that animal was giving its life. And then you take that, here's the life, here, here on the altar, God, and then, of course, I can have a relationship with you. But it shows me how terribly, terribly holy God is. He demands this, and he was very, very picky. And then, you know, his holiness is seen in the fact, back to Deuteronomy 12, and we'll be going back to Leviticus, so if you have a finger, put it there. Oh, yeah, I guess you all have ten, hopefully ten fingers. If you have a spare finger, put it there. Deuteronomy 12, again, he says, when you go into this land, you're going to dispossess these people. You're going to kick them out. In fact, you're going to exterminate them. Why? Verse 31. You shall not behave thus toward the Lord your God. You're not going to follow what they're doing. For every, now watch the wording. Very important. Every word is inspired by God. For every abominable act which the Lord 
hates they have done for their gods. And read Leviticus. Boy, it's, there's a lot in there. For they even burn their sons and their daughters to their gods. I'm this holy. This is why we are exterminating them. This is why you are taking their land. Because this is the judgment of a holy God upon very unholy people. Don't you dare go down that path. So I think if God is, I better get moving on here. Uh, God is jealous. God is holy. Number three, I love this one. With all, with, with saying all of that and all the specific, specific tickety, that's not a word, with all the specific instructions, God is gracious. Gracious. In all of this, God is gracious. Number one is he provided a, a way of sacrifice so that the people could, when they sin, bring the sacrifice, be atoned for, and God covered it, and, and they could go on and have a relationship with him. And that's gracious. He could have killed them. But then as we were reading this, you may have noticed something very, very interesting, that uh, you meat lovers, you steak lovers, are going to really appreciate, all right? Because in verse 15 uh, of Deuteronomy 12, he had said, however, you may slaughter and eat meat within your gates, whatever you desire, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you, the unclean and the clean may eat of it. In other words, the clean and the unclean person, if you had come in contact with something unclean, you 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 know, you were ceremonial unclean, you, you couldn't really go to the temple or do any of that, but you can eat this meal. So that's 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 kind of nice. And then verse you go down to verse uh, 20, and he says, you know, when the Lord, and so when you, here you are in the east side, and you're kind of all clumped together. When you go into the promised land on the west side, you're going to spread out. You're going to spread out. And you're going to multiply. Your borders will increase as God has promised you. And, and you may say, you know what, I'd like to have a steak for dinner, or maybe at the end of the day, because you desire to eat meat. And you shall eat meat wherever you desire. And then you figure, okay, great. Well, what's this with verse 21? If the place which the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, then you may slaughter your herd and your flock which the Lord has given you, as I have commanded you, and you may eat within your gates whatever you desire. You see, back in Leviticus chapter 17, and not, since we're kind of running out of time, Go back and read the first few verses. It appears that in the Old Testament, rather, in that period of time, while they were on that east side, when they were in the wilderness, as Matthew Henry, I think, very well summarized, quote, all the cattle killed by the Israelites while in the wilderness were to be presented before the door of the sacrifice and the flesh to be returned to the offerer to be eaten as a peace offering according to the law. In other words, every animal you killed had to be taken to the, the, uh, the tabernacle. What was the, yeah, it was the tabernacle, that, 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 that thing. So, so if you wanted to have steak, say today or tomorrow, you would have to march to there, slaughter the animal, do all that, and then bring your meat back because that's what was happening. However, as, as they expanded, which God said, now, look it, you don't have to do that if you're just going to eat it. If it's just a meal, you can eat it wherever you are. In fact, the clean and the unclean can eat it. However, you still can't eat the blood. You've got to drain that on the ground. But what you must go to the place 
that I have designed and will call for you is you must take your offering, your sacrifices to the temple. But you can, but as far as eating goes, you can eat it here. So you got two kinds of meat. You got the meat that I'm just going to kill and eat, drain the blood. I, I got a, I'm going to take a lamb. You know, he talked about the, the, the first, uh, the first, the firstborn of your lambs, if you go to back to Exodus 13, you find that God said the firstborn of the cattle, male, males of the cattle and of the people are mine. And really it's because I have passed over and I haven't killed the firstborn males of your house if you had the blood, as I did Egypt with both people and animals. So from then on, the firstborn male of the, of the animals and of people were gods. So you, the, uh, the clean animals were sacrificed to God. The unclean were redeemed, as were mules. It's funny, I guess they figured donkeys were useful. So, th so they redeemed those. And of course, people they redeemed with money and, and with sacrifices, rather with, with offerings. The point is, you know, God is saying, for example, uh, uh, verse 15, let's just look at this again. You may slaughter and eat, and eat wherever it is. Great. You are not allowed, verse 17, to eat within your gates the tithe of your thing or the firstborn of your herd. There it is of your flock, your votive offerings or whatever. And then you go over here on the back page. You offer your sacrifice. You put it on the altar, verse 27. That has to be done in the place that I determined for you. So I say it's gracious. Number one, that God gave away for sacrifice to be had. And if you're a meat lover, you don't have to truck all over the country to slay your animal and then take the meat back. It could have taken you weeks. It probably would have spoiled or you would have ate it all on the way home. And then you get home and your family says, well, where are the steaks? Oh, man, you know, it was a long trip. I, I, I just see this is so beautiful. Really, God is so gracious. He says, you can eat it wherever you find it. Okay, so that's quickly what I, what I think God's telling me about me about himself. He's jealous, he's holy, and he's gracious. Second question. Now we make the transition. The second question is, okay, what or how does this impact my life? Now that I've learned that God is jealous, doesn't want us worshiping anything else, he's holy, and he made sacrifice for sin, and he's gracious, <coughs> he provided that, and he's and he wants me to rejoice. Did you notice how many times rejoicing is mentioned in this passage? Verse 12, for example, I see it. You can just pick them out. So God, you know, that's gracious of God. That's why I love our little medley of he is the lion of the tribe. That just makes me happy all the time. In fact, I play it all the time just to, it just picks up my spirit. I wasn't planned to do it this morning, but yesterday I thought, you know, let's throw this in. I like it. So how does, this, how does this affect me? Well, number one, knowing that God is jealous, I need to remove idols from my life. It's like I said, who loves the Lord their God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind? You may get something that's very legitimate. Let's, let's pick a new car. Let's just say I got my, finally got my Porsche. I'm off the Ferrari thing. I would really much rather have a Ford. I'd even like to have a 914. It's kind of a boxy thing, but I think they're cool. So I finally get my car, and I say, thank you, Lord. That Really, that's the first thing I would say. It was, well, thank you, Lord. This is very gracious of you. 
But you know what we tend to do as human beings? We become obsessed with that car, especially me, who tends to obsess over things. You know, the first scratch is going to kill you. Even with my green Volkswagen, the first scratch I got on it and other scratches affected me for a while. I tried to patch it up. So anyway, our, and, and then we find I'm spending, I'm thinking about the car, I'm taking care of it, that's good stewardship, but you know, we tend to go to the nth degree, and I realize at the end of the day, if God says, get rid of this car, I would argue. And now I know, oh my goodness, this has become an idol. And God is very clearly saying, I'm a jealous God, I don't want, I don't want to share you with anyone. Yes, you can love me with all your heart, joy, and mind, and right in your Porsche, but I've got to be first. I've got to be first. So what do we do? We get rid of them. You know, I'll give you, because we don't have time to read it, Ezekiel chapter 14. Oh, my goodness. Every time I read this, it's so convicting. I mean, it just hits. It talks about the elders of Israel setting up idols in their heart. Verse 3 of chapter 14 of Ezekiel, and they put right before their faces the stumbling block of their iniquity. You wonder why you're stumbling sometimes? Check out what idols you're stumbling over. And so what he tell and he says, Look at your hearts have been estranged from me through all your idols. Yes, because they're taking love away from me. So what do I do? Repent. Verse 6, Ezekiel 14. Turn away from your idols and turn your face away from all your abominations. Okay, Lord, maybe I, maybe I do need to get rid of this, sell it, because I can't have it. And you realize some people can't. Some people can, some people can't. You ask God to reveal that to you. We need to be like the Thessalonians. Great example here, 1 Thessalonians 1.9. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. If you don't have time to read your Bible, to pray, to be involved in your church because you're too busy with your car, it's become an idol. And you need to deal with that because God is a jealous God. Number two, I learned that God is holy. Oh, God is holy. How does that affect my life? I thought, I thought of one verse immediately. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. And this, this is really all needs to be said. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And of course, Paul will fill that out throughout his letters in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are constantly to be perfecting holiness in the fear of God because he is a jealous God. He is a holy God. And he's also a gracious God. So, I think about all that God has done for me for when he's put up with me this long. You know, we rejoice. Philippians 4.4, rejoicing Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. And since he has, in the Old Testament given them a specific way to worship and a specific place to worship. He hasn't done that in the New Testament, but he has, because he's given us the church. The church is the place today, wherever it is. And, and I was thinking about that. You know, you know, when I, you know, I go to church. 
So go to find Hebrews 10, because this is where we'll, we'll end. Hebrews 10. Verses that you know well. Verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together, but as the habit of some. But encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's the church. That's the church. I need to be involved in the church. I need to show up and do whatever I can to help somebody, to help God do his work. Because God is jealous, he is holy, and he's gracious, and he's enabled me to do this. And really, even more important than that, he saved me. He's gracious. Go back to verse 19. Therefore, beloved brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Christ, something the Old Testament saints could not do. The dear high priest went in once a year to the Holy of Holies, fear and trembling. In fact, I've heard that they tied a rope around his, his ankle and he had bells around the bottom of his robe so they could hear him moving around. If he made a mistake and God killed him, the rope was there to drag him out because they couldn't go in. But I think I, because of where I live and what I can, I can. I have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Christ, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. You notice I come in by the what of verse 19? The blood of Christ. Back to the blood. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Did you catch back here in Deuteronomy chapter 12? How often he said, look, do this, be careful to do this so that it may be well with you. You know, that's how he started. Chapter 12, verse 1, these are the statutes, the judgments, it's the Lord your God, which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord your God has given you. And then over, you know, verse 25, you shall eat and drink that it may be well with you and your sons after you. That's what God is saying. Look at I've given you all of this. And folks, you live in the New Testament. If you want a steak, go, you know, if you're going to kill it, kill You can eat it today. While in the Old Testament, before Deuteronomy 12, they had to go all the way to wherever the tabernacle was to present it to God first. Not today. And, you know, you presented the blood when you sinned. And then you sinned. You presented more. And then you sinned and you presented more. Jesus went once for us. And this sums it up well, I think. If, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrible expectation of judgment. Because remember, God is holy. And a fury of the fire which will consume the adversary. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God 
and is regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God for a lot of reasons. Not least of those is because he's a jealous God. He's a holy God. And he's a gracious God. Father, I thank you, and I pray we all do, for your word and for Deuteronomy 12. And for Jesus Christ in the book of Hebrews that shows us how well we have it today. May we lift your name on high because of all that you've done. Let that just kind of roll around your heart and then we'll, we'll close with the song. Deuteronomy 12, but remembering all that you've done for us, may we spend the rest of our life lifting your name on high, and may it start right now, in Jesus' name, amen.